when you enter into the agreement, it's not a once-off decision, it's not a once-off consent. We're setting up a process, a long-term relationship about how we're going to continue to work together, how we're going to continue to share information, how we're going to continue to make decisions together about activities that happen on country. So it's not a once-off, it's a continuous, it's setting up a process for future decision-making. Hi everybody, welcome to Rolling Through Negotiations. We've got a special guest here, we've got sister girl, Megan Haifal, and we're sitting here on country, Wujak Noongar uh, country. So first of all, I'd like to just give acknowledgement to all Wujak Noongar peoples. Um, thank you for allowing us to be on your country and to record this podcast and have this yarn here today for Rolling Through Negotiations. I'd also love to be able to give an acknowledgement to all First Nations peoples that are listening in here today with our special guest because Megan is a gun lawyer. Um, she works doing some amazing work in environmental law, but, but, but without holding you up, without further ado, let's check in with Megan and let Megan explain a little bit about herself and the deadly work she does. Hi, Megan. Hello, that's very kind. Thank you for having me. Um, find any opportunity that we can share our experiences and our stories um, to be very empowering. And that's part of our culture is that's how we learn through storytelling. So thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for being here, Megan. And I, and I also learned that you, uh, your background, your heritage, you're a Gugada. That's right, yeah. So I'm from South Australia as well. Um, I've been living here on the beautiful country of the Wadjuk people. Um, but yes, I'm my dad's family. We are descendants of the Kukatha people from, from South Australia. So um, we're yeah, connected my, my as well. Family, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's lovely, isn't it, when you connect no matter where, where you are within this beautiful country. It's one of the things I, I love about working with Aboriginal peoples is feeling so connected. And like, this has been a really difficult week here, you know, last week's referendum process. And we're delivering our governance being program and we're so grateful that you're one of the deadly attendees in our in our program. Thank you. And um, what was incredible was yesterday we started off and we were speaking about just connecting over the referendum process. But we said we want to have an understanding of governance through the being program, which is called Black Excellence in Indigenous Governance, being. Um, but we also said we want some healing and connection through this. And what's so cool is We've been able to work through and become empowered after day one through the governance principles, but also there has been a sense of connection and, and healing through it. So it's, it's so cool, right? Absolutely. Being surrounded by mob is just, yeah, it's just a lovely, it's like a warm hug, isn't it? Um, we all you support and you know look after each other. We're better together. We're stronger together. Um, and that's part of what you know I've been taught growing up and, and part of my my journey in my legal career has been that we are stronger together. We need to look after each other, look after our neighbours. So part of my career in, in terms of negotiating agreements has been, you know, looking after each other and making sure that, you know, when one mob is negotiating against a mining company, we help them as well if we need to, you know, like we don't just let someone get, you know, taken advantage of when we, you know, we support each other. Um, and that's where we are, no matter where we are, where we're from, we're all, we're all one mob. Yeah, and that's really interesting too, Megan, because just before we jumped onto this recording, I was saying that back when I was at university, I was deciding about whether or not to step into environmental law, and I felt 
it would be challenging because when you're mob, you're one with country, um, and then to be able to work in the big sort of sector, often you end up in that career pathway of working for a mining company. So you're with Rio. And something I love talking about when it comes to negotiations is there's an internal game of negotiation as well as an external game of negotiation. And the internal game, and I'd love to hear what happened in terms of your own story, there's an internal game of negotiation for yourself when you're making that decision to go and work for a big mining company. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about that and what it's like being an Aboriginal woman working for a big mining company in that environmental type space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it wasn't an easy, an easy decision. So most of my career has been uh, working with and representing Indigenous landowners' interests um, against mining companies. So it was something I never thought I would do, go to the other side, but um, following, you know, the devastation of Duke and Gorge, Rio was asking and calling for help. Um, and actually my, one of my old bosses who is an Aboriginal CEO, put my name forward to help, help the company because they clearly needed people that could help them ensure, you know, that they're, how they work with and how they make agreements with Indigenous landowners, they've got to improve it. It, it wasn't, it's not working and they need to know, they need people with the knowledge that can help them, help them make sure that a chicken never happens again. Yeah. Um, so that's why I came. I came to help them. Awesome. Um, because they need people that have that knowledge, that know the right way of engaging, the right way of doing business because business and culture can complement each other. And when culture is respected, when Indigenous landowners are respected, culture can enhance business. And I've seen that. I've been very lucky in, in my career, my legal career, to work under Indigenous leadership and some amazing, incredibly talented leaders and elders. But not only that, CEOs. And Aboriginal CEOs just think differently. The cultural, cultural values are the heart of their decision-making. They're not left behind. They're not a last-minute decision. They, are, they come together. And I've seen it where business and culture can thrive together, where, you know, if a business treats Indigenous landowners as a genuine business partner, together, the magic that can be created is just phenomenal. But it, it comes to respect and not treating um, Indigenous landowners as, a, you know, a tick of the box, part of the approval process. You know, it's not just a, we need their approval to get an environmental or some form of regulatory approval. We're not just here to tick a box to say, yeah, okay, we've engaged in the we tried to make an agreement on the Native Title Act to get our land tenure. Like when you genuinely want to incorporate and work with Indigenous landowners, we will only, as Australia gets stronger and better and the economy will survive, uh, thrive because culture is essential to business. The, our people have been here for over 65,000 years. The knowledge that we have about country, business needs that. Absolutely. And we need to learn from business. Yeah. We need to, it's two way. And that's how I've sort of always approached and, and been taught and guided by these Aboriginal CEOs and leaders in my career. Of, that's how the right way um, to do business is bringing in culture, bringing Indigenous landowners as an equal partner. And it, 
together, protecting and managing culture and country, you know, respecting that there are areas, there are places of significance where business can't happen. You can't mitigate impacts on that area. You can't avoid, you can't eliminate it. Yes. You have to respect the no and not do business there. But that doesn't mean business can't happen. Yes. And it, it's so good and you've touched on so many amazing points. One of the things that came to mind when you're, when you're speaking now is, is something that I learned and, and realized first up when reading Uncle Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu, which is the understanding that as Aboriginal peoples, we were the first entrepreneurs, not only the first peoples, but also the first entrepreneurs on, this, on these lands. And so with that inherent wisdom of 65,000 years or more, there's a lot that we as Aboriginal peoples can be teaching corporate Australia about how to do business on this country. And I think when, when it comes to business, there's a lot of energetic factors and learning how to negotiate, apply and work with an energetic side of country when you're doing business. Also in mining, because mining, you, you're interacting in, in one sense, if we're being overly keen about negotiations, we can say that you're negotiating with the land in terms of extract, extracting those resources. Um, and I also love the way that you spoke about your courage, your courage to want to see things being done right. So instead of staying clear of the big corporate giant, stepping into it and saying, hey, I'm going to tame the monster. I'm going to show the mining companies how to actually work properly with Aboriginal peoples, how to respect culture, how to respect country and be a cause for good through that kind of work. Absolutely. And how change the thinking that culture and, you know, engaging with Aboriginal people is not a, a roadblocker. It's not a stop, a showstopper. It's, it's actually something that will enhance your operations you you'll get more you'll be able to mine more when you where you know where you can mine how you can mine and you're engaging and you're just just as simple as information sharing that's all aboriginal people need is to know what is happening on the country making sure that they can look after their country you know it's not stopping it it's about making sure it's done appropriately and, and just that respect of informing you know they they have every right like anyone else to make an informed decision and that is as simple as providing information in a timely manner, in an appropriate manner, providing them time to have go through their own decision making. You know, we're not like the corporate. We don't just make a come together in a board meeting on a telephone call of five minutes, boom, there's a decision. Like it, there's a, a culturally appropriate way that decisions are made. So it's allowing that. It's not just everyone sits in that one box. Um, it's really embracing that and, and cherishing that difference, you know, like learning from each other. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's, that whole working together, joint management, sharing decision-making, that's been done by the government in a lot of parks. You know, you see a lot of national parks being jointly managed across Australia. But the corporate sector hasn't quite worked out and embraced that together is better. Yes. And Megan, in terms of this work that you have done and continue to do, can you share with us Actually, before we do this, one thing I want to want to um, point out is your emphasis just now on information sharing, because we've spoken about information being a key and pivotal resource, and 
in rolling through negotiations in our previous episode, we spoke about if parties have information, they're in a better position to be able to negotiate when they're at, at the table. So that was a really good point and a really good live example of the kinds of instances where you've seen information being a key part of a negotiation process. One thing I'd love to ask you is in the work that you've done and the work that you continue doing, is there a particular negotiation that stands out in your mind in terms of being one where you've learned a lot from? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, through my time living in Broome and working with um, some amazing Kimberley Trisha owners, um, you know, they, uh, a couple of groups were dealing with quite a, um, a proposal by a mining company to to extract um, minerals, but in a, you know, in a quite a controversial, you know, it was quite, you know, um, controversial manner in terms of there's been a lot, there's a lot of concerns. It's world worldwide concerns in this um, type of how you extract oil or gas from the country. And so there was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of perhaps misinformation because people are very um, passionate about protecting the environment and, and culture, obviously. But it's how do we how do we ensure that the indigenous landowners that we are representing and working with how do we ensure that they have the best information? How do we ensure that they know the facts? They have everything in front of them that they can make that informed decision. So I was lucky enough to be part of these negotiations where we engaged a panel of experts. So the mining company helped fund independent experts. So to provide their own analysis. So they got information about what the company's proposal was doing, what technique they were trying to do to extract the oil and gas. And it, the areas that were of concern, um, both, both, you know, Australia, but internationally, in, independent access. We had independent access come from America in terms of water and chemicals and hydrogen. And so there's this panel. So you went through a top notch in, information gathering. Because process. it's informing. Yes. How, how can you make a decision when you don't have all the information? Yeah. You can't expect indigenous landowners to make a decision in a time pressured case because the mining companies wants to just get on, you know, they want to, and, and to, and then to upskill and inform the rest of their community, right? Because, you know, you're working with a smaller representative part of that, that mob yeah. to then take that information back to get to everyone understand, you know, doing a couple hundred people here trying to also understand. And people that, you know, may not be, English may not be their first language, who has not been to school. Like it's, how do we get that really technical, the scary stuff about all these are the risks. How do we get that information where it's, okay, some independent experts come, they assess the risks, they give their opinion. Are they high, low, can they be mitigated? Can they, is the company doing enough perhaps in some of these risks to mitigate them, to eliminate them? and gave their view to help them make that decision. Yeah. Because part of, and part of that agreement was that when you enter into the agreement, it's not a once off decision. It's not a once-off consent. We're setting up a process, a long-term relationship about how we're going to continue to work together, how we're going to continue to share information, how we're going to continue to make decisions together about activities that happen on country. So it's not a once-off. It's a continuous. It's setting up a process for future decision-making because 
the important thing is that companies ch change activities all the time, right? Things happen. So when, you know, you come and present a proposal in two years, in five years, things change. And the consent that was provided there is not going to relate to what's happening, you know, in five, ten years' time. So it's the agreements, that, I guess the strength I saw in that agreement was a process that was set up between the mining company and indigenous landowners to continually engage, to continually work together, to continually share information. And before activities could happen, the traditional owners had to be informed. They had to know what was happening, how it was happening, where it was happening. And they had a right to say, well, to protect our country, to protect our culture, that may not be able to happen. And work together to say, okay, can it happen in a different way? Can it, you know, can we change it? Can we move it? Can we have it? And then if it got to a point where it's like, no, you can't, we can't change that, we can't move that activity, we can't, the impact on that area of significance, well, that's like, it's, it's, not, it's not acceptable and we can't, there's no way in what you try to do to mitigate will make it acceptable. So it's a no and they respect that no. So at the out onset, when you sign that agreement, a no is respected. There's an agreed process to get to that point, but if when it gets to that point, the no is respected and you have to walk away, the company agreed to walk away from that activity. Not the complete business, the operation didn't shut down, it's just that that particular activity on that particular area of significance was not acceptable to the traditional owners. The damage to culture and country was not okay. Yeah, but it, it's um, a process that I think you can be pleased with in terms of the integrity of that information gathering process, your role at Rio Tinto in terms of making sure that the information was gathered and shared understood yeah. two ways you know so the traditional owners understood the business what was happening there what they, what they were trying to do the techniques the impacts the risk and they understood about the culture what what it meant what it was like you know and it's that sharing because things like culturally like we've got so much knowledge in terms of environmental management as well yes but sharing that just work through a way together yes and also really appreciate your emphasis there on the win-win type outcome. So it was really about gathering the information, sharing the information to then be able to look towards win-win outcomes. And in this instance, the win-win outcome was saying no, like you've explained. Megan, um, something I'd love to just ask you before we wrap up, because we're about to jump into day two of our Black Excellence in Governance program. We've got mob in the next room. We're going to jump in there. I feel like, I feel like we could yarn much, much more. <laughs> one question before we, before we wrap this one up is, is there, is there a tip that you can give? Is there a skill that you can give and share to these listeners to, who are joining into our podcast today about negotiations that they could be applying in their own next negotiation? Um, I think be respectful. So really value the Indigenous landowners as a partner. So when you're negotiating, you're not negotiating for a, a land tenure approval, for an environmental approval, for another form of regulatory approval. You are negotiating to create a relationship, a long-term ongoing relationship. Um, come to the party as that your business, your operations, when you want to work on operate business on country are not going to thrive without culture, without the engagement and support and complementary 
nature that culture can bring to your business. So come at an agreement like that, that it's not just a, yep, I need to get my land tenure, I need to get my environmental approval. It's a relationship, it's a partnership, a long-term investment in your business. That's awesome, Megan. Thank you so much for your time in this podcast today and um, for sharing that great tip in terms of relationship and partnership. Megan Highfield, Gunn, environmental lawyer at Rio Tinto. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep working for change. And something that we like doing in rolling through negotiations is giving our listeners three key takeaway points. And from the amazing information you've shared, it's pretty hard to narrow it down to three, but something I feel um, that is really useful from, from what you've said is number one, the internal piece of negotiation being able to step into an environment by negotiating with yourself first and foremost and being confident in that to be able to create change. And you're doing that, for example, by going to work for a large mining company to be able to create change and achieve good outcomes for mob. Number two is the information sharing piece. Being able to actually gain information and share that information looking for win-win outcomes. And the third deadly point that I really feel is to do with your um, tip that you've, you've given just now as well, Megan, which is about the relationship piece of negotiations. If you can focus on relationships and put people first, that can often be a really good step towards achieving lasting outcomes, win-win type scenarios, and better negotiated responses overall. Megan, thanks a lot for joining in today, rolling through negotiations. Thank you so much.